As business owners, entrepreneurs, family men, it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these. Even though it's something we really want to do, unfortunately, taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first. However, because of viewer support for people like you, we're able to continue doing this. Please consider joining our Patreon and supporting the Burn and Return podcast. Listening to Burn and Return, a weekly one hour podcast covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. When you hear the DJ scratch, that means we're live. Uh, welcome to another episode of Burn and Return. Uh, for those of you that are tuning in for the first time, my name is Matt. Sometimes I go by the grass factor. Man. And alongside me, I have two fine gentlemen known as Ray Edo and Ryan DeMay. Gentlemen, how the hell are y'all? Oh, and real quick, let's give a big round of applause because finally, finally, we do not have to worry about me doing the bullshit that I do uh, handling the, uh, the 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 tech side of things. Time's because up. It's over. Wonderful. <laughs> Our producer is it's, back. It's literally like we've gone from uh, the MS-DOS version of Oregon Trail all the way into the Windows 3.1 version. <laughs> and God almighty, is it great, right? Because there was a while there, Matt, that You've our fucking mail. oxen died, and we were out of ammo. I know, I, but you know what? The, the, uh, the Listeria will get you every time, whether you intend to or not. And uh, you know, dysentery, bacterial infection is difficult. Well, dysentery, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That we should put that, that uh, actually put that, that on the uh, yeah you said that with yeah that's like, a bacteria like in uh, dairy products stuff like that. listen okay. I, d- diseases we've got to put that on the decathlon so that'll be part yes. of our uh, we, we got to make sure we make a list of this there's there's at least ten events there so if you're yes. tuning in and you're wondering what we're talking about uh, in the pre-show uh, we decided that uh, because uh, we're celebrating Ray and his love of death and our uh, <laughs> well us. Him helping us uh, embrace it, not be afraid of it anymore. And the way that we do that is by talking about it on pretty much every show. It's been a running the theme now. This is our 60th This is our uh, 60th show now, gentlemen, on Burn and Return Alone. Hot and uh, to celebrate that, uh, we're going to do, uh, we'll, we'll have a little bit of a uh, discussion about uh, interesting ways to die uh, during our pre-show. And uh, if you want to access that, you can always check us out, www.patreon.com forward slash burn and return. Uh, low, low price, $4, $10, and I think it goes all the way up to $20. We don't need to grovel. Uh, there's 120 of you, and we love you all, and uh, we'd certainly like to have you on the show participating with us and, on the Death Decathlon with the Green Ducks. And you know what? You know what we're going to do? We, we, for, for, every, for every dollar we generate through, uh, through Patreon, uh, we are we are going to live the most lavish lifestyle you have ever seen. Uh, we're yeah. going to drink Cristal and uh, and Remy Martin and uh, the the Playboy cognac and whiskey because we can because we are getting filthy rich off this. And if you weren't here to uh, 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 get hucked out of your next four dollars, then 
uh, we would just move on to the next thing with our life because we sure shit. All right, I'm playing into it. Actually, no, that's the name of yeah, the name of our yacht, Poseidon's Trident. Rating it is, that. and uh, <laughs> it it as of right now, we got it. We got it out of a out of a Hot Wheels box, but you know what? We we love it nonetheless. And uh, what we it's would a, prefer you to do, uh, yes. we would prefer you to go to wecarelawncare dot uh, dot info, and uh, yep. and in lieu of sending us more uh, Hot Wheels, which is much appreciative. Don't get me wrong; it's fun. Uh, it makes for great fodder, great content, great laughs, but. Take that, take that extra ninety nine cents and chip it in over here at uh, the Travis Feltner Fund uh, by the the boys here at the Grass Factor, and send it to people that actually could put this to good use. That is St. Jude. Uh, WeCareLawnCare.info. Make a fucking difference, will you? Please. Okay. Stop Ray, complaining. Thank Go you on. for bringing us the death decathlon. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's gonna no, be you're a most fun, welcome. It's gonna be a fun uh, exercise. <laughs> be a fun exercise and i really am equally equal parts of anxious and equal parts uh scared as to what rabbit holes on wikipedia ray is going to send me down stuff that i don't even know about <laughs> but i'm here for ray, it i'm, I'm going to lean into it do not provide any details no details whatsoever but if you had to name one thing uh, uh death wise that is your favorite just give it just give it a name only and then and then we will we will we're gonna save the rest of that but just in name if you have one that is whether it's the most interesting however you would like to classify it what is the name of one thing that you would say the world's most radioactive man there we go and that's that is all you need to know <laughs> This I'm is... going to, I'm going to, I'll follow that up. And I didn't know about this. I think Jay Pink was the one who told me about this. I think. I have no idea it's what it is. It's been some time. Uh, to me, without question, the weirdest way or what I, I'm not even going to clarify it. You're right. Mr. Hands. Oh, I said it. Buddy. I said what yes. I said. Damn it, man. I said, ah! I said what I said. Ah! <laughs> yes. Okay, uh, Leave it to the librarian to find I'm, the most racy way to go, okay? Leave it to the librarian. I mean, that is, that is that the is most such, racy way to go. <laughs> it, is, it is unbelievable. Um, I, don't, I don't have anything off the top of my head right now just because I'm not quite in the state of mind to be able to uh, just recall. And I would say probably the one that would pop into my head is Mr. Hands, but jeez, uh, man, you really... You really you put my brain <laughs> into a space that uh, you ready to you do headlines. Some Matt. some people some people are a little nervous to go, but you know what? I'll go there with you, Demay. I'll go there with you. You know where else? All I will go? the headlines. And if you're going to look that up, by the way, incognito tab. Yes. Pro tip: <laughs> Do not image search that. Uh, this week's headlines. This is just the news indeed. And number one is coming at us from Lawn and Landscape Magazine. Uh, our dear friends over there, Becky Bowen, David Urban, and uh, Jay McCurdy bring us this fine article here. And it is called Reverse Resistance. 
in recent years, herbicide resistance among poa annual populations and turfgrass systems has increased. Among the most challenging weeds for turf grass professionals to control is poa annua or annual bluegrass. Although sometimes grown as a desired species, poa is frequently classified as one of the most common and troublesome weeds in managed turf grass systems due to its adaptability, invasive biology, and propensity towards herbicide resistance. It competes with desired species, disrupts aesthetics and functionality, may increase maintenance costs. Uh, herbicide resistance is generally defined as inherited ability of a plant to survive an herbicide application that would typically kill a normal population of the same species. Resistant plants are selected through repeated use of herbicides at the same site of action. As these surviving plants reproduce within a population, incre- resistance within a, a population increases. And so here we are. Uh, Resist POA began in uh, fall of 2018. An interdisciplinary team of scientists spanning 14 academic institutions came together across the herbicide resistance epidemic uh, to address the herbicide resistance epidemic in POA annua and managed turfgrass systems. Uh, the project was funded by the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture as a specialty crops research initiative. Over the past four years, the project has accomplished many of its, ob- of many of its objectives to advance knowledge around the nature, extent, and management of herbicide resistance in this troublesome weed. Uh, contemporary challenges and opportunities for improved lawn weed management, insights from U.S. lawn care operators as part of the RESISPO effort. A series of five virtual focus groups was conducted in 2021 to gather perspectives from LCOs across the United States. Uh, they were trying to figure out, you know, basically, well, what the hell is going on? The complete study published in Outlooks on Pest Management can be accessed for free on the Resist Poa website by searching available literature under resources. So there you go. If you would like to follow up on this in your own time, by all means, you certainly can. And here are some uh, the top concerns that we see here. Uh, many participants suspect that herbicide resistance is a challenge in lawns and landscapes they manage, particularly by troublesome grassy weeds, uh, for troublesome grassy weeds. POA in particular is uniquely challenging due to growing herbicide resistance issues. Uh, there is a perception that government pesticide regulations make it challenging to manage turf grass weeds properly. Uh, the, uh, this is compounded by a feeling that there are too few herbicide options available to manage weeds in turf grass lawns. Many participants indicated that opportunities for information sharing between operators are too limited in the lawn and landscape uh, industry. And some particip- uh, participants also felt that opportunities for misinformation among the public may generate unfounded concerns about fertilizer and pesticide use, leading to fear among clientele that can impact the ability to implement best practices. Uh, so anyway, mm. it goes on and on into uh, some things here and some uh, uh, forward-looking opportunities. And I don't think that uh, you know this most certainly isn't news to anyone, but uh, again, highlighting here, one of the things that is currently going on, and now we have a published study that is coming directly from lawn care operators, Resist POA is taking one for the team and doing the work for us. And if you haven't checked it out, uh, you can go to resistpoa.org, and there's going to be a lot of information there for you to, uh, to take a look at, including the literature that went into putting this together. So uh, kudos to them for being able to bring this to us. Uh, and you know, a couple things, obviously the, the, I think the, the clickbaity thing in here that, uh, that I, you know, I'm curious as to y'all's take on it. Some of this, I agree with some of this, I don't agree with, uh, number one is there is a perception that governmental pesticide regulations make it challenging to manage turf grass weeds properly. I'll say that is number one. Uh, number two, uh, this is compounded by a feeling that there are too few herbicide options available to manage weeds and turf grass lawns. And then number three, I'll highlight this, that some participants also felt opportunities for misinformation among the public may generate unfounded concerns about fertilizer and pesticide use, leading to fear among clientele that can impact the ability to implement best practices. Okay, got all that out. Now, 
Gentlemen, I bring this up to you because, again, clickbaity. Of these three, and then please comment anything that, that you, you want to say about this, uh, which which of these three do you think are true? Uh, which, uh, which, which of the three do you think are false? Ooh. And this is this is Man. this is purely it's opinion. Like two truths and a lie. Um yeah, which is actually <laughs> actually what I was going to what I that's identical to what I was going to say. I was gonna say I see two truths and a lie, but I'll let y'all give yours. I you know, okay, so uh, a couple of things. Uh J Pink first, go ahead and throw this up. This is from the resistpoa.org website. So uh, most of what they're seeing in terms of resistant populations occur in the southeastern United States, so particularly Alabama, Georgia, yes. Mississippi, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia, uh, in which 13% of the 766 or 776 samples they got were suspected resistant to ALS inhibiting herbicides, 8% to glyphosate, 5% simazine applied as a post-emergent, uh, and I think they mean prodiamine. Uh, they misspelled it here. Or am I? Is that something I'm actually, I'm missing here? Prana? No, I think it is pronamide. Pronamide, pronamide is actually used curb? quite a bit on, on golf courses yeah, and I believe curb, fields right? and sod farms. Curb. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Curb. That. that you don't see that in lawn mean, care. No one is using curb. Yeah, I was gonna say that's why I thought. Well, that's why you, I want. You can't to use it in, the... in lawn care because. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pronomide is prohibited in residential areas. It's a suspect carcinogen. So here, here's the point. I think Matt, it's a great question when you ask, when you talk about um, you know what is out there. I, the biggest thing that I think is truth is that by bringing to light what we do to control weeds, particularly in you know warm season turf in uh, the southeastern states that it could become problematic in terms of what, you know, if we bring to light, hey, it's tough to control weeds, we might have to spray this thing or that thing. Just the idea that you're bringing to light that, hey, you spray weeds in the wintertime, what the hell are you, like, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That maybe other mm-hmm. people don't know. So there is that whole thing of, like, hey, uh, you know, keep the curtain pulled, don't don't show anybody, you know, uh, whether it's tricks or whether it is uh, just the exposure to risk that might be highlighted. So I do agree with that. To a certain extent, I think what's maybe a, a little less of a concern for me, or more of a, a a lie, would be just you know the the products that we do have available in lawn care for uh, you know volunteer POA control in a uh, in a a warm season lawn in particular. Now they go on and they look at this too in other uh, northern states, right? So I think there's a test site at Purdue. I know there's one at Penn State. And I think that's where it'll be interesting to see what comes of those northern sites. But this is a $5.6 million grant from the USDA, right? That Huge. was given to these researchers. Huge. Massive. Like Huge. One of, yes. the biggest, one of the biggest grants that's been given to turf grass ever, right, by, yeah. the, uh, by the USDA. And it's a long-term study. So they're going to run out of money uh, at some point here. And I think the next, like, two, three years, something like that, they'll probably reapply and do a second phase of this. So it'll be interesting to see what they come back. But Ray, I'm interested to hear from your perspective, uh, you know, the idea that resistance is a problem. I would agree that it's a problem. And I think that's why we put this article here was it showed, you know, people that weren't aware of this, maybe Mm -hmm. that uh, there are problems out there and you need to be mindful of it. And both you and Matt have talked ad nauseum about, uh, you know, rotating herbicides and being mindful of that. 
So uh, unless you're going to go out there and hose in spraying a gate, and sarcasm, by the way, uh, what can you do? Honey. Let's hear it. Hardy okay. har. Uh, yeah. You know, this also highlights where I think as an industry, we too are our own worst enemy. Because, for example, how many lawn care operators use the same product over and over and over again, year after yes. year after year, without any thought to, hey, I used this last year, maybe I shouldn't put it down this year, maybe I need to change it up and do something different. And, you know, in talking to people in the business myself, you know what, one of the most horrific things I've heard is I heard somebody literally tell me, I don't want to rotate my product because that stuff that I bought costed several hundred dollars per bottle, and I'll be damned if I'm going to inventory, you know, another product on top of this already expensive product that I have. So I told this guy, so what are you going to do? Are you going to, therefore ride this thing to the end and then you have resistant pests and then what you're going to do mm. you know and, and i think that's right, where they're trying to get ahead of this oh, go, ahead, go ahead good i i was just going to say from from the uh true or false perspective of those three which which do you think are true and which do you think are false i think the lack of available options for you know products especially when we're talking about warm season turf growing in the transition zone i call i call false on that i mean that is not true because you know matt in this age i mean we have got so many things available to us because like I told you, you know, when I started doing, you know, working in the industry, all I had available to me was three-way, MSMA, uh, thymazine or atrazine, and maybe a little bit later, imazequin or image. I did not have the availability of so many different kinds of pre-emergence and so and i also did not have you know and matt i came into the industry at a time when there were no sulfonylurea herbicides labeled for use on ornamental turf grass i'm showing my age again <laughs> So, and I'm, and this is where I'm going to, I'm going to point out that we probably all three have different opinions here. So, um, I oftentimes feel that we have too few herbicide options and I'm not going necessarily by, um, uh, active ingredients, but where, where I am leaning on that is, uh, motive actions. Uh, and mm -hmm. I do agree that, uh, public, uh, agitation towards, uh, concerns related to use of fertilizer and pesticides 
uh, is creating a problem, um, especially when it comes to to being able to make uh, the the most appropriate decisions while out in the field, especially the safest decisions. Um, I think that is true. I would say as of right now, uh, uh, government pesticide regulations are not making it challenging to manage turf grass weeds. Um, now, I would say that that's also probably highly regional. So if you're in, uh, you know, Maryland uh, in the in the dead zone, <laughs> then, yeah, it's probably a major problem for you there. However, at least where I am, uh, it is not a problem and I have no regulations and anything that limits my availability of products to be able to make uh, a, a weed control application would be a product that I probably shouldn't be using anyway. So. I think there's some highly regionality that goes on with that, but my my take on that would be a false. I don't think the government is is creating a challenge right now, at least for me. Um, I, I do say true that we are limited in our modes of actions and true that uh, a public outcry is becoming a difficult thing to manage. So uh, we'll kind of kind of leave it at that. Uh, we're running. Demay, do you have anything else? We're running a little long on time, so I was going to I was going to move on here. Nope, go on. Okay, uh, number two here, the Denver Broncos spent uh, $40, no, $4,000, no, $40,000, no, $400,000, uh, because the Walton Pinner Family Ownership Group purchased the Denver uh, Broncos in August. They felt the grass was showing signs of wear and tear. And the CEO and owner, Greg Pinner, made the call to have brand new grass and saw the head of the final game of the season. And I, and I love to hear this, Ray. This is my favorite line of the whole thing. After our last home game and following a perfect storm of significant activity combined with inclement weather, the field was simply not up to our standards. Our turf crew and stadium management had a window to install, install it, and we took advantage of it. Um, uh, and, and I think there should be even greater emphasis on the turf uh, guys, that made that a reality because Lord have mercy, could you imagine what that was like? Now, I have never done anything at this scale, this kind of capacity. Uh, Demay, I'm sure you have seen some silly shit in this type of vein. Talk to me about what, what happens when you have to get a field in at this scale, at this magnitude, at that kind of timeline. Yeah, I was going to say the timeline is probably the, the trickiest part because, you know, you got to have weather to harvest logistics to move the side in fast enough but not too fast and then you got to get it all installed to get it ready to go rolled out prepped painted and play the first game what's interesting and i think part of this was a little bit of an experiment gentlemen because uh they switched their uh kentucky bluegrass time's up it's over over see time's up it's over for kentucky bluegrass over to tahoma 31 bermuda grass for that last game, yes, I think I think yes. they're doing a little they're doing a little fafo out there in Denver right now. They saw mm -hmm. how well it went for the uh, the Chicago Bears playing on Bermuda in a uh, cooler climate, and it's not to say that Denver is as cold as Chicago, but uh, yeah, they've actually got a sod farm out there, Ray Green Valley Turf that uh, grows to Homa right there in uh, Central Colorado. So yeah, it was an easy lift for them to get that over there and. Uh, yeah, when you're owned by the uh, the son-in-law of the heir, and uh, I'm not sure exactly what her title is with uh, Walmart, but you, you marry a Walton, Matt, things tend to work out in your favor. I'm just going to say that, you know? Well, you know, 
Uh, and it's, uh, it, it is quite the undertaking. We should get spin, uh, on again to, uh, to break down the, uh, oh, yeah. the, the high pace, high chaotic uh, turmoil that, that goes into that. And, you know, you say that maybe they saw what, what went on with Chicago and all that, but I think, I think they were scoping our friend up in Columbus, Ohio, who has been playing around uh-huh. with, uh, these sprigging no, installs they and they... <laughs> Did you hear what I said? Did you hear what I said? Oh, I heard. I don't need Mm -hmm. time. I don't have time for you to sell yourself fucking short, Demay. Do you hear me? Hey, listen. I know they were creepy. I did not do that. (laughs) I did not drop him. Look at him. I got, I got, I got, he's back. I didn't do it. He's back. Yeah, I actually was slamming my mouse on the desk, and I and I accidentally hit the back button uh, with my Oops. with my thumb. Sorry. About Listen, that. maybe they did, maybe they did, and I'll tell you what that uh, for. I will say this: if you have a football field, most anywhere in North America, I'll I'll say most anywhere in North America, you'd be an idiot to not use it. Uh, <laughs> it it's well, I'm just saying, like it, it it's I, I'll go with you on that. Yeah. Yeah, you might have some loss. Yeah, you might have to resprig some stuff, but you have a window, you have time, and it should be a def it's a viable option uh wherever you go. And uh mow it, water, Ryan, fertilize it, everything it, will take care of itself. It makes sense. You know, it makes sense because here's my thought on it. Let the grass grow like heck all summer long, and then it's gonna be ready for fall football season so it makes logical sense to me okay no. it does i mean it's not out of uh you know my mind of reasoning where i can imagine it working you know i truly can this is rather right. than what <laughs> what everybody came in at the same time what, what were you gonna say rather than what Demay? i mean uh, no Ray. i was gonna say from from uh, from my backyard Ray's backyard. I didn't know if we were transitioning to the next article because we are moving right on to yeah, literally this... Ray's backyard. D- d- oh Ray. God, are, are you gonna Ray. are you gonna are you gonna trigger me or horrify me? Because I I sincerely want to get your opinion this, on this approach. Yeah, because I I read this in the paper uh, a few days ago, and I thought these motherfucking clowns. <laughs> oh, I, I pictured Ray reading this, and well, I'll I'll, I'll 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 paint my picture here in a minute. Go ahead and read the article, Matt. Uh, the Honolulu <laughs> Department of Parks and Recreation is proposing an annual maintenance program to raise the quality of outdoor amenities, uh, like for instance, their baseball fields. In the case of Patsy T. Mink Central Ohio Regional Park, the fields get worn down quickly. Oahu Park users are invited to take part in a community survey to gauge public sentiment regarding a robust baseball softball field maintenance program designed to improve the conditions of a 12-diamond-shaped field at the park. Uh, Currently, the high use of these dozen ball diamonds, which includes three clusters of four ball fields for adult baseball, softball, and youth baseball, has outpaced the existence maintenance program, the existing maintenance program, as they are used year-round and are not given time to rest or rehabilitate. Uh, In most other municipalities, off-season weather enables park staff to reset their fields from regular wear and tear of recreational use on an annual basis. The Honolulu Department of Parks and Recs is proposing an annual maintenance program to raise the quality of these outdoor amenities. The proposed plan calls for a three-month Summertime closure of two ball fields from June through August. 
Uh, talk to me, Ray. What do you think of is is that what needs to happen? Is a shutdown the the only uh, uh, executable answer at this point? Uh, given how the city handles maintenance, I think it's actually needed. Because let me paint you all a picture of the actual condition of these turf grass areas. Okay, let me let me paint the picture. All of these turf grass areas are currently invaded by a combination of blue stem, goose grass, and smut grass, and they're supposed to be Bermuda. Yeah, and that I mean, is I mean, the actual so, issue. So and, here's my question: Is what? How did it get to that point? And I, I, is okay. Is I'll tell closure, you why. Is a one-time closure? I mean, I could see a one-time closure, but ongoing. No, I'll tell you. Uh, you know, I'll tell you why. It's because, to my knowledge, routine weed control is not done on any city and county of Honolulu turf grass area. It is not done at all. Cost wise, and or so what's the, what's the hang up there? Politics wise, Ooh. it's all political. Uh oh, need the gr- oh. We, okay, it's all need... it's 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 all political because you see, how is it handled in any other municipality? Like uh, you know, we have Lushy who used to work for the city of Attleboro maintaining their recreational areas, right? And mm-hmm. Lushy would be out there doing pre- and post-emergent weed control on a routine basis when it's supposed to be done. Whereas here in Honolulu, Hawaii, the only way for that to happen is in order for that to happen in Honolulu, an area would literally need to be completely shut down, closed off, and secured. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's the only way that... The- that's the part that doesn't square with me of like why they they don't take this approach of like hey let's get it fixed back back up and they're just sort of like putting a band-aid on it over a shotgun wound as if it's as bad as you say it is and i have no reason to believe otherwise then address the issue like go in there and fix it you know sod sprig do whatever we got to do and they say no, that actually what needs to be oh what needs to be that, what needs to happen is even if it gets fixed ryan the same old shit grows in those areas without an adequate weed control program. And that was my next so part see, is that you got to have, you got to have that on the backside. That's, that's, it's all, because it's you, all maintenance, right? Because, because, but you know what, Ryan, ever since I've been the green doctor of Hawaii, I've had conversations with people within the parks department and, you know, they've showed me some of the things that come up in the turf grass areas. And I told them, you know what? You get out your boom sprayer. Here's what you load into it. And you drop that. And they told me, oh, my God, Ray, we can't do that. We cannot do that. And I'm like, why the hell not? It's because we cannot shut down the areas that you're telling us to do this to. Okay, I mean that's the that's the issue here. And so 
For example, Ryan, in several of the city parks that are not necessarily baseball fields, they have an issue with this weed called cockyweed. It is related to pigweed, except this weed is medieval. What it has is it has these little seed heads that look like mace balls. And the thorns drive into the feet of dogs or, or people. And do you know how you fix cocky weed? Please tell me. You put down, you put down a combination of uh, mitsulfuron missile and speed zone. <laughs> and you fry that shit. Well, and it's gone. Ray. It sounds like we're gonna have to take your bedside manner down to City Hall. That's all I can. That's all we can hope for. <laughs> I think. Oh, they've heard point. from me. Oh, I they've bet. heard from me, and and it's like no, they they just have this attitude of can't doism, and the only thing that's gonna come out of this survey that they're taking is more of my tax dollars wasted because this is all another. Buddhist ritual of getting public <laughs> oh, input Jesus, and not doing a fucking thing. <laughs> With and that, that, ladies and gentlemen, is our public access channel for Honolulu local television tonight. Thanks Thank for coming. Walter Cronkite is going to be talking to us about. We're going to revive uh, him from the dead to talk about <laughs> volcanoes in Hawaii. Uh, Christ. Boys, let's uh let's just go ahead while we're on, while we're on 9.7, let's do uh let's go ahead and do Joe knows dwarf. <laughs> Joe knows dwarf. Indeed, he does. I'm Joe. I'm gonna give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today. Because, because Joe knows turf. <laughs> yes, indeed, he does. And you know what, Demay? I want to know what you have in store for us, good sir. Well, listen, I, I I'm not gonna say this is intervention for Joe, but we're you know we we want to. Uh, <sighs> Make him feel welcome. Make him feel at home. This is his place. This is uh, his segment and always will be, uh, no matter what he says or does. And Jay Pink, go ahead and roll our intro video for tonight, our little cut. Master! Master! If you tell anyone about this, I'll fucking kill you. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We'll come back by tonight. Okay, so <laughs> All right, now there you go. So listen, this is us kidnapping Joe and bringing him back, bringing him back to the land of science and reason, Ray and Matt. Ray, hey, Joe, listen, it's going to be a good year. You know what? Lean into it all the way, brother, all the way. Not tonight. Uh, I w I'd like to talk to you. This, uh, oh, this article popped up, and there's been a lot of this. I think we've talked before about sort of the seminal work in this uh, vein here. And JP, go ahead and throw the article up, and we'll talk a little bit about this on the subject of biostimulants. Now, this is the effects Ow. of plant biostimulants on cool season turfgrass seedlings. Now, this is an interesting study on seedlings that had not been previously done. And uh, they're looking at perennial ryegrass and creeping bentgrass here. 
actually a little bit of work here out of uh, the Ohio State University. And I did not get to see this uh, and get up close to it while it was being conducted here, but I do have uh, uh, good relationships with these researchers. I'm going to talk to you a little bit here. So uh, the article starts off, a plant biostimulant is a natural substance or microorganism applied to plants or soil to enhance growth and stress tolerance. These complexes include different types of elements, have different types of effects. Therefore, the specific modes of action through which they perform are mostly unknown. Considering that the worldwide market for plant biostimulants was valued at $3.68 billion in 2022, the amount of commercial availability in these products and using uh, their use is increasing globally. It's necessary to generate more technical information in, uh, regarding their effect and most important and the most important turfgrass species used around the world. So, gentlemen, if we slide down here, this study we were interested in determining if plant biostimulants could, oops, slide back up just a bit there, Jay Pink. I'm going to read this for the, the group here. Yep. Could be used for increased seedling leaf and root production during establishment. Previous field studies with biostimulants and frequently cut turf grass, data not published in Ohio, did not show differences between the products. Therefore, a controlled environment study was conducted to eliminate variability often encountered in field studies. The objective of this study was to determine the effect of six commercial plant biostimulants on root and leaf growth in germinating seedlings of three cool season turf grass species in a controlled environment. All right, so here's what they're doing, ladies and gentlemen, is they tried to do this in the field and they saw nothing different between the six different products that they looked at. Okay? Oh, shit. Yeah, that's a big <laughs> shit because in research, Yikes. right, we want to either prove or disprove something, right? That's the whole point of why we do it. You know, that's science. And so they said, well, okay, there could be some different variables that we're not accounting for out here. We're not sure what is causing uh, this, if there's anything. And we'd like to take this into a controlled environment. So they'll take these into a growth chamber that exists inside. Ray, real quick, just explain the growth chamber, how it's set up, what they can do with it, the extremes they can put turf grass through in those types of settings. Ah, the growth chamber, also known as the torture chamber, because <laughs> in a growth changer, chamber, that's why I asked you, you Ray, control over, over temperature, <laughs> light levels, and humidity. So, and you also have control over water. So, therefore, if you want to subject the creeping bent grass seedlings to 90 degrees heat and 90 degrees humidity and intense light levels, yes, you can. Conversely, now, on my end, if you want to take Bermuda grass down to 50 degrees and low light levels, you can do that too. So a growth chamber is actually, I consider that the litmus test for whether a product is capable of mitigating environmentally stressful conditions. Because, okay, you treat your sample with your, your snake oil and then you stick it in that growth chamber and then you crank up the heat or else you turn on the AC and then you see what happens. So there, I mean. <laughs> now, so what was interesting here uh, in looking at the products that they were using, so I'll, I'll do a quick description of uh, what was used. So 
six were Nutex EDA, which is a product from Sipcam Agro. Uh, that's a five percent. These these uh, are all Sipcam products, by the way. I'm just gonna throw that. Yeah, out. except for the la the last one is Nature's Wonders. I'm not even sure. Oh, I know. Sorry. I've I've seen that one before with the Apex Ten, but yeah, also. Oh yeah, products. yeah, yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Apex Ten. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they're five percent. Uh, 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 zinc. We've got uh, classified as a metabolic enhancer. Baccarat, uh, a concentrated humic substance and complex Interesting organic humic material. substance, by the way. Uh, acidic oh, yeah? humic substance. Yeah, it's 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 Ooh. one of the one of the more interesting ones I've seen. It's almost like a um, uh, an interesting, uh, very non viscous, very well done suspension. Interesting. Mm -hmm. All right, we've got. In fact, I've got a jar of it, of it on the table behind me here. Oh, how about that? Potent, potente, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, an amino yeah. acid biostimulant. Stillo, also Sipcam Agro. Mixture of mm -hmm. fulvic and uh, fulvic acid and vitamins. And then Apex mm -hmm. Ten, uh, which is a li liquid peat extract. So they, uh, they, it, it's kind of like humic acid, but it's made from a peat substance, right? Yes, it is. Uh, it is humic acid finished. that's derived from uh, from peat bogs. Mm -hmm. So all all good claims, and I think some of these have claims about seedling uh, production, everything like that. So going down here, the uh, the interesting part here is we look at the the data right uh, in the tables is that there is some positive effect here from uh, some of these uh, humic substances in particular. The baccarat is actually uh, noticeably uh, better in some of these cases here related to uh, fresh mass and then also dry mass as well. So, gentlemen, as we go down here and look, uh, we talk about a little bit of how they went through and did this. So the three turf CCs were seeded into randomly assigned rows, four holes each. The floating trays were placed on top of a rectangular container, blah, blah, blah. So these are uh, 15 days after seedling. The six liquid biostimulants were applied into the containers and left there. Um, so again, they, they basically did one application right after seeding, and some of the pictures are pretty interesting as we look at this. So their takeaway on this whole thing is that uh, the positive effect on plant performance by these humic substances and complex, or there was positive effect from humic substances and complex organic materials, so particularly the Baccarat product, right? The dose may be important to factor in because low doses used in this study, one to two parts per million, uh, were compared to former studies. So they just kind of used some rates that they had seen in other papers and didn't really have a baseline that they wanted to go off of to kind of compare results from previous work. So uh, that all being said, this was, uh, you know, I think sponsored in some way, shape, or form, uh, whether it was money or product, by Sipcam Agro, which is fine. I mean, that's how a lot of these uh, trials will end up working, right? Soft money that comes into university research that keeps the program doors open. And, uh, you know, I guess my question to you, gentlemen, is, oh, you know, there has I've got been some opinions. I bet you do. <laughs> there has been some smoke around, you know, in research works over time regarding uh, humic as a uh, germination aid, as a establishment aid and that sort of thing. And, you know, what do you think that we're seeing here? And the one thing that I thought was interesting too, I'll just add this is, uh, was it Josh Weaver? Who was the guy down at Clemson, Matt? That yes. did the yeah. yeah Dr. So, so Josh's paper. Yeah. So yeah. Doctor Weaver did that, and <laughs> I thought it was interesting that they called into question about the rates and the timing because I think what Doctor Weaver had was like 
uh, it was a ridiculously high rate. I want to say it was two plus gallons per thousand, or yeah, two plus gallons per acre uh, on a rate, uh, like a five day interval or something like that. I mean, it's crazy high that you would have to do to keep those levels up. And that was Zoysia establishment uh, for putting green height. Anyway, I've rambled enough. Tell us about the science here, gentlemen. Um, what are we uh, missing? One, one thing I want to, uh, to put out here is that uh, as far as creating a baseline of fertility, because in effect, this is a hydroponic study, right? So this is hydroponically grown grass that we're seeing here. Um, and in the event you used just water as your, as your growing medium with no nutrition, then some weird things could obviously start to happen. So they had to create an equal playing field, and they did so with Hoagland solution. And so basically what you're covering is both uh, you're covering your N, P, and K and micronutrients, as a matter of fact, and you're also including, uh, because you're growing in water, you're also including calcium and magnesium. I don't know if they used DI water, but probably did if they're adding uh, uh, calcium and magnesium as part of their Hoagland solution. So um, anyway, that's to account for evenness across all of uh, the, the plants that were established. Uh, number two is... What is not accounted for and what makes it difficult Time's in up, a over. very small scale uh, hydroponic study like this is what I would have liked to have seen is the um, uh, this is this is actually where I, I would have liked to have seen a tissue test. Right. Uh, and hmm. specifically why why I want to see a tissue test in this regard is um, one of those interesting things that we know about plant response when you induce phosphorus deficiency. And you may not be inducing phosphorus deficiency at such a point that you're growing purple grass out there or you're inhibiting grass. But what has been shown is that as uh, tissue phosphorus levels decline, is that you tend to get an increase in root, uh, root development in an effort. This is the plant's kind of physiological response in an effort to mine more phosphorus from the soil, right? So uh, it's it's kind of an odd thing that you know has been has been highlighted and demonstrated multiple times, both in uh, in lab settings like this, and then again in the field. It was not accounted for in this situation. Purely, the only thing I was looking for was we applied this product. What happened after we applied this product? Now, what is not being discussed is why, when we applied this product, did we see this? Right. So it's just giving us a very surface level of 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 what actually happened, and then. Uh, from there, unfortunately, we're kind of left to deduce why that was the case without any real guidance as to uh, as to what, why, how that could be. And uh, in my opinion, I think this is where, at least at the minimum, for very, very little cost, one more thing like a tissue test could show one more or eliminate one more variable that could be a contributing factor to seeing why we're seeing what we're seeing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I would like to see phosphorus levels and micronutrient levels because what I know about humic substances is humic substances are able to sequester phosphorus, calcium, magnesium, and micronutrients. They can do it. And so what you said about plants throwing out more roots in an attempt to mine nutrients makes sense to me. And one of the logical ways to disprove that would be, or to prove it or to disprove it would be get a tissue test done 
on those plants to see if the increased root growth that they're seeing is not, in fact, a stress response. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd like to, I'd like to know that because in ever since I knew that humic and organic substances sequester nutrients, that has made me even more wary of applying them. Now, and you know? I'll, I'll say this is that I, and I have done very little in terms of uh, 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 applications of Baccarat. What I have done a decent amount with Baccarat, though, is see what it plays well with and what it doesn't. And, you know, I talked to you about it being this odd quasi-suspension because, um, one, the pH of the product, we all know uh, that humic acid is no longer soluble at low pH. Um, and pH has no effect, uh, at least, you know, from a four to a nine on the Baccarat, on the Baccarat product. But as you start increasing in pH, it kind of gets a little interesting. I would say that um, it becomes a bit more clingy on your finger, not in like a, um, in more of like a traditional humic acid way. You know how if you dip your hum- your finger in humic acid, it clings to your finger decently well? Uh, and if you've ever dealt with with a really, really clean, fine, particulate suspension and you dip your finger in it, it doesn't look super clingy to your finger. It's it's an odd thing that I noticed is that the higher you took the pH on it, the more it looked and acted like a traditional humic acid. If you maintain uh, neutral to acidic pH on it, it tended to remain this beautiful odd suspension-esque type product that did not cling to anything. And it was interesting. And and I don't know why that is. I haven't had a, a, an excuse or reason to get to continue down that wormhole. It's just an observation I've made. So I would think using Hoagland solution here with this, I think the, the suspension plus the Hoagland so- solution would, um, in theory, theoretically, play well together because I didn't notice any coagulation of the sort that you normally would see when you mix uh, something like Hoagland solution with with a uh, with a humic acid. Um, so I don't know. Just kind of just kind of fodder out there. I'm just I'm just throwing around some talking. Points. Yeah, I, I agree, and I think that's the whole thing is that you know part of research too in science is to spur on more questions. I don't know how limited or whatever. I'm sure that there were parameters within uh, the the protocol, right? That uh, the researchers were supposed to follow and 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 things like that. So. It'd be interesting to see if uh, you know anybody wants to replicate this research, uh, that they take those next steps like you talked about, and we'll see. But you know what? This is just another example of where science is making us learn and get a little bit better, Joe. Uh, yes, indeed it and- is, because these types of questions are the questions that need to be uh, need to be asked. And that's the whole reason that research is conducted to be able to compile the next set of questions to continue the scientific quest that we are all on. And the idea that we should just disregard that and give up and get angry and throw and point fingers is, well, you know, it fucking pisses me off sometimes. Anyway, boys, <laughs> let's check out this week's Burns. <laughs> Now we didn't meet over the holidays, and uh, oh yeah, that that whole part. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll kind of tie a bow on that at the end of the show there. But uh, 
Ray, um, Matt and I need to know, did you give, uh, you know, we didn't get to talk over the holidays. Did you give Sheila the whole tenderloin for Christmas dinner? Mm, girl got the whole leg. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ray says, hold, Ray says, hold my kickstand. <laughs> that, was a, that was a hell of an egg there. It was a, bounced right off the uh, table somehow. Um, city count, council, I'm not even going to be able to read this. City council proposed to change the law and ordinance. No mo may rules. Oh, boy. Uh, here we go. This is, uh, <laughs> here we go. Here's, here's some. I, did, I, think, I think this is what happens when you say, you know what? Forget the science. Let's just do whatever makes us feel good. Uh, standard lawns aren't the only yards in style. Uh, an increasing number of St. Peter residents are taking out their turf and replacing with native grass. Native, native, <laughs> native grasses and plants create a more hospitable environment for pollinators. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Statewide programs like Lawns to Legumes have encouraged Minnesotans to counteract the decline of native butterflies and bee species by building pollinator-friendly gardens and yards. As the image of a healthy lawn is shifting, so are city regulations for lawn care. On Tuesday, St. Peter's City Council met in a work session to reevaluate the current ordinance on residential grass and weeds. Much of the discussion was centered around how to create an ordinance that's both permissive enough to encourage and allow uh, residents to cultivate environmentally friendly lawns and restrictive enough to prevent uh, homeowners from letting their uh, lawns grow out of control. Under the current ordinance, ordinance, it is unlawful for weeds or grass in residential areas to grow above six inches or go to seed. But when it comes to creating a healthy lawn, neighbors aren't always on the same page. One man's flower is another man's weed. One of the suggested changes to the ordinance is to explicitly designate cultivated native plants as separate from weeds. This would serve to legally di- differentiate planned pollinator-friendly gardens from native plant overgrowth in neglected lawns. Counselor Emily Bruflot said such a distinction would be helpful in setting neighborhood dis- settling neighborhood disputes and resolving complaints before they're taken to the city. It's nice to have an ordinance to point to or have a rule to say that this is cultivated, so it's okay. Uh, Mayor Shannon Noel further suggested the city specify noxious weeds in its ordinance to reference plant species prohibited, restricted, and, uh, restricted and regulated by the state. Uh, I like being more specific in referencing not, not noxious weeds because what I see as a weed might not be what he sees as a weed, uh, so on and so forth. So we're moving on. No, no mo may is going to become a thing, and we're here and we're proud. And uh, and there we go. Now listen, I, is. I, this is. This is a great thing, and I, I learned a lot more about this over uh, the holiday break. There's actually a research proposal that's out there that's going to go in for some uh, potential grant funding, and I'll read uh, from this uh, one-pager that I received, and I think yep. you, you, you'll be interested here. So uh, the title of this is Harnessing an Emerging Market for the U.S. Law and Landscape Industries. So they're looking at this from the standpoint of is there a gap to be filled by professionals doing these practices under the auspices of best management practices, or is some of this stuff BS? So there's a growing concern among society that traditional turf grass lawns are negative environmental assets responsible for losses of biodiversity and wildlife habitat, exposure to pesticides, decreasing water uh, quality and availability, and greenhouse gas production. These concerns have led an increased demand for alternative and seemingly environmentally friendly strategies for managing lawns. 
To date, this demand has produced a dizzying array of management recommendations and trendy marketing campaigns largely driven by local grassroots efforts and environmental groups. For example, No Mo May, Raise the Blade, Leave the Leaves, Safe Home for the Gnome, uh, Lake-Friendly Lawns, Lawns to Wildflowers, Freedom Lawns, etc. These campaigns have been largely been advertised to benefit invertebrates that provide important ecosystem services such as pollination, biolog- biological control, nutrient cycling, and act as food for wildlife. Such recommendations have captured the interest of homeowners across the United States on all social media platforms, and some practices have recently been adopted by entire municipalities. Despite their traction, few if any of these practices have been evaluated by turfgrass scientists or urban ecologists to determine their realized environmental and economic costs and benefits. Moreover, many of these campaigns villainize or at odds with the sod production, lawn care, and pest control industries. While professional turfgrass managers are aware of homeowners changing perspectives on lawns and even seeing it with their clientele, they have been largely excluded from the process of creating effective and realistic alternative lawn care campaigns and programs. Ironically, if the lawn care and pest control industries were included in these campaigns, it would be much more likely to achieve their desired environmental goals. This has generated a large disconnect and even animosity between the newly emerging goals and expectations of lawn owners and the practices and resultant cost of cultural, environmental, and social and economic uh, facets that they are willing to accept to reach them. So this is their pitch, and they want to research and look at, hey, in a vacuum, right, what's going on with all these practices? Is this like, is this just something that somebody came up with? Like, for example, uh, the Nomo May thing, actually, I, I learned this in this process, came up and was uh, adopted in Wisconsin, right? And now it's proliferated, and I can't remember the map that they showed during their presentation, but, you know, it's in like 16 other states or something like that now. Mm-hmm. So, again, May and Wisconsin, yeah, you can probably get away with it. May and Ohio or Pennsylvania or Iowa, maybe not, right? And what's left to deal with on the backside of that in terms yeah, of Tennessee you haven't mowed your grass. Oh, yeah, you haven't mowed your grass in a month, and are you actually creating worse downstream effects by doing that so i think the my take on this whole thing is that just that that there is no science to support a lot of these things now it's well-meaning and i think that the Mm -hmm. point the Mm -hmm. the most important point of this research proposal that i think is cool is that bring the people that do this every day bring the professionals in and let us be part of the solution rather than just ostracizing us and saying well you know all you guys want to do is just put down fertilizer and charge me and it's not that you know, there are those folks. I mean, listen, we all visit uh, the uh, Advanced Professional Applicators Facebook group and see some of the bullshit that goes on there. But, you know, the the challenge here, right, is I think we, the people that are sensible in this industry, need to be in the middle of this as sort of the ringleaders. And it's going to be telling the, the homeowners and the people that are concerned, right, hey, listen, We've got this, and we're going to use science to back what we do. And on the flip side, you got all the swinging dicks in the lawn care industry that you got to say the same thing to, right? Hey, we're going to use science to pull you along and get you going in a better direction. Um, I see that more and more. There's a whole bunch of stuff we can talk about with those groups and what I see right now in in them, and I'm sure we could all see. That's a subject for another show. We will definitely dive into that. But my question to you, gentlemen, is this, is how do we become part of the solution in this? I, I see this, this, hopefully this grant gets funded and we can, you know, start down this path of research and whatnot. But short of that, 
how do we become part of the solution and, and not be part of the no mo may marketing campaign that maybe doesn't make any sense for what we're doing and could become I, more problematic than it's worth. I think there is an issue, uh, and, and, and boy, this is the pot calling the kettle black. Uh, I I'm literally looking in the mirror as I say this out loud is there is, uh, a propensity to let emotions charge the, uh, the, the conversations that are had regarding these types of sensitive topics, right? Which can be become sensitive topics. Again, I'll be the first to admit, I get really excited over something that is relatively meaningless to many people. Why I do, I don't know. Because I've got, I've got my own fucking mental health problems that I have to deal with. But, and in, in, hang on, there's, there's more to where I'm going with this. And, you know, the first thing I want to say is that I think everybody can come to, you know, in, in terms of lining up some commonality here is uh, if someone wants to have a lawn full of natives, by all means, do the damn thing. And as a professional, be able to provide the assistance on how to accomplish that. Plants that are best going to fit their growing conditions, whether they be with shade, full sun exposure, side of the house, wet areas, boggy areas, because there's native plants that are going to thrive in all of these different, different conditions, right? You know, one of my favorite plants to plant in some of the most horrific underwater-like growing conditions ever would be your old carrot species, the old green and golds native plant and they did absolutely wonderfully through periods of extreme hard ass dried up late bed type cracked ass dirt uh uh uh, uh soil bed cracked too oh yeah it's just horrific looking you know and you're walking across it you know like man this is what am i even walking on and then you know for for four months out of the year well, longer than that i would say you know from november here november through april it's basically underwater the entire time, right? And and it just continues to show up and it continues to thicken and it continues to do really well. And so, you know, that type of plant and that type of environment is actually serving a pretty significant purpose there of being able to offer some of the wonderful filtration effects that we get from grasses, right? And also, you know, you get to scratch your itch if you want to have, you know, a, a lawn full of natives and if it makes you feel good about contributing to biodiversity, whether or not how significant of a contribution to biodiversity uh, you're actually providing there is, is, uh, is debatable, uh, to say the least. But as a professional, that's something that you can come in with your expertise on both sides of the aisle and, uh, and offer an option um, that is going to appease the person both from an emotional standpoint, meaning, you know, feel good to from a practical standpoint, something that is going to tolerate of the worst conditions possible that is not even conducive to growing turf grass. And three, you get to be the good guy in the situation, right? So it's a win, win, win on all sides of the aisle there. Uh, then on the, on, the, on, the, on the flip side of this is that I think it's easy. The easy way out, the easy cop out is to walk into that situation and be like, you're a fucking idiot for wanting to do that. And I, and I, and I say this about the, the debatability of biodiversity is that what we're seeing in ag right now is a significant amount of research uh, funded towards these, uh, towards a, uh, 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 cover cropping, no-till, um, and the, uh, the, the various efforts of cover cropping, like increasing significantly the number of species that go in with cover cropping and then measuring the proliferation of biodiversity, whether that's just from uh, microorganisms all the way up to uh, wildlife measurements, right? 
And what we're seeing is that it's actually not not really having that much of a that much of a impact. Even right, you know, the two, two, three, four year mark. Right. So now that's not it's not it's not an urban home lawn setting. So I'm just saying is that it's debatable at this point because we just don't have the body of evidence to point to and say, without a doubt, this is what you can expect. And there's reasonable variabilities, there's climate variabilities, there's soil condition variabilities that all need to um uh, to to you know be accounted for, right? And we're just not there yet. But uh, these are things that hopefully will continue to show up and so we can be able to make the best educated decisions possible. So anyway, I've said enough. I think I've painted my picture there. Ray, what about you? What what can we do? Um, and uh, uh, yes, Ryan's question. Sorry. Matt, <laughs> Matt Ryan, blah, 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 blah. I've always part of the solution. I've always been an advocate for putting turf grass in the right places. And mm-hmm. in places where turf grass is not a good fit because like 45 degree slopes of that. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> I was going there. Okay. In places where turf grass requires too many inputs or is not practically maintainable by all means. I mean, I encourage my clientele to take a look at, Areas where turf grass is not able to be maintained at a high level with a minimum amount of inputs, I I tell them, you look at that area and let's rethink, how would you feel about foliage plants that will thrive in that area? How do you feel about that? Because, okay, I love grass. but there's nuance to how I love grass. I only love grass in situations where it is possible to maintain that grass at a very high level. Otherwise, I start to think, hey, let's redesign this and make this area actually more attractive than grass that is being maintained half-assed. I mean, that's just uh, how I go with it. And uh, I see around a lot of homes all throughout the U.S. and in Hawaii, places where grass has no earthly fucking business being. Okay? Grass doesn't belong there. I mean, and those are the kind of places where I'd rather see that kind of area planted to alternative plant materials that are well suited to that area rather than having grass on it. I mean, it's because to me, a thriving hillside garden or thriving foliage garden in the shade looks a heck of a lot better than grass that looks terrible because grass that looks terrible to me, that's like the opposite of a calling card for me. That's more like, uh, don't hire this guy because your grass looks like that. <laughs> you know, so I, I think that as an industry, uh, hey, I've even had some pretty pointed conversations with landscape and sod people in that 
the contents of my con- conversation. I mean, you want to talk about uh, Bedside Manor? They Uh-oh. begin with, why the fuck did you put grass over there? You shouldn't have. <laughs> I think we have all heard Ray make the recommendation of going and getting the D9 Caterpillar and just fixing the problem one for all. And that oftentimes means that uh, there is something about that situation where grass is no longer conducive to grow. And so you're going to have to make a major landscape modification in order to make it conducive <laughs> for the growth of grass. Yeah. <laughs> when you're... When you're calling That's in a, a D9 Caterpillar for 3,000 square foot areas, uh, you know this is this is an earth-moving adventure. It just sounds like a, that sounds like a new business venture for Ray is Major Landscape Modifications, LLC. <laughs> uh, speaking of major modifications here, a Madison County jury has awarded... A tow boat duck hand, uh, deck hand, three point three million dick that, hand, three point three Fro- million dollars. Freudian, Freudian. Uh, uh, the D in the hand. A jury deliberated two hours and fifteen minutes before declining SCF Lewis and Clark LLC's request to award deck hand Kevin Mogensen nothing, and instead issued a verdict of three point three million dollars. Um, let's see what is going on here. Um, the lawsuit brought under the federal Jones act that covers seamen. You did this on purpose to me. I know you did. Alleged the towboat company negligently ordered Morganson to be aboard a barge while terminal and dock crews were cleaning excess bright yellow corn gluten fertilizer off of it. Towboat employees testified. They believed that constituted an unsafe working condition. There was testimony that Mogensen's exposure was so significant that he resembled a computer animated minion in color. According to testimony, 20 hours following the exposure, Mogensen was taken by ambulance to Alton Memorial Hospital, where he was diagnosed with acute hypoxic respiratory failure. He was intubated and placed on a ventilator. After being discharged from the hospital four days after being admitted, his treatment was, uh, has consisted of nebulizer treatments as well as using daily inhalers. His lawyers argued that he suffered acute aggravation of his pre-existing asthma and that his condition is now permanent. Uh, Mogensen's asthma has been present since his childhood and that any problems experienced in the alleged workplace incident was due to exposure of corn gluten fertilizer six weeks before when he was working for a different employer. Mm. Uh, anyway, he got 60 grand back and then $2.75 million for past and future pain and suffering and 500 K for past and future, uh, loss of normal life. Uh, just a real quick takeaway here is uh, I was expecting that um, a significant amount of really hygroscopic, you know, high salt index fertilizer got on him and burned his skin, right? So I'm thinking like a barge full of ammonium sulfate, significant amount of exposure, maybe even like wet um, uh, ferrous sulfate heptahydrate, like a, like a wet hygroscopic ferrous sulfate can be not very fun to get on your skin at all. What is interesting here is that boys, this was organic and we all yeah. know is that we don't have to worry about shit with organic fertilizer except for you know acute hypoxic respiratory failure where you have to be fucking intub- intubated and placed on a ventilator 
And then listen, okay, uh, a few Matt, things about this. Go ahead. Well, go ahead, Ray. Go ahead. Okay. Here's what I know. Corn gluten. That can be a known allergen and sensitizer. So you give me a person with a prior history of anything autoimmune, including asthma, and then you expose that person to a high concentration of corn gluten. Uh, I say roll the dice 50-50. Someone can have a rather significant, severe allergic reaction to it. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I think happened. <laughs> I put this in here for three reasons, and the third reason just occurred to me. But uh, number one is, you know, uh, what a terrible way potentially die or require being on a fucking ventilator than to be around this four actually four uh because the second one was what you just said Matt. this was organic fertilizer right this corn gluten mill 10 right it is used as a fertilizer it's used as a pre-emergent right uh in areas that you can't use a, a labeled or registered uh pre-emergent uh the third thing is let's be honest uh the loss of a normal life 500k listen Carrying around a nebulizer with you is, you know, an existence for some people. It's terrible. And for this guy, who's a fairly young man, I mean, the only way that you're going to climb in the sack with anybody is if you have a chick that has a Death Vader fetish, right? (laughs) Last, last, and this is the most important reason I put it in here, is I didn't get to have a a sixth grade uh, health class with Matt Martin and I needed to hear him say semen in a in a very serious way. So thank you, Matt. You're welcome. Uh, it, 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 I, look, I'm looking at an SDS here for uh, for corn gluten fertilizer and um, checking for you know the fun stuff like PPE, um, uh, re- respiratory ranges. You know, do they do they recommend any kind of uh, you know wearing of masks? And I'm not seeing anything unless, unless uh, uh, conditions where airborne concentrations are expect, uh, expected to exceed exposure limits. Exposure limits in this are uh, dusts of 15 milligrams per cubic meter, according to the OSHA Z1 test, or a respirable amount of dust of 5 milligrams per cubic meter, which is a, uh, when you are outside, uh, that is, is, is a, is a fairly significant amount. And it says, you know, if you are going to be in an area like, you know, right there where you have the potential to turn yellow, uh, an N95 or R or P particulate filter may be used where you're expected to exceed that. Um, but it is not saying anything, you know, like you have to do this, you have to wear that, you have to do this because you know why? Well, it's organic and uh man scary that is scary indeed speaking of scary uh let's talk about this week's returns And here it is. Dandy's new weed killing lawn robot will save your back. Sorry to all you weed smokers out there. There's a robot for that. <laughs> oh. What? 
Yeah, <laughs> never, that wrong true? weed. Wrong weed. Oh. Uh, the new Dandy DT-01 and the 01XL are robots designed for residential customers with up to one acre of coverage area, especially those looking to limit herbicide use. This robot automatically solves two of my top gardening problems, removing weeds and reducing the amount of harmful chemicals used at home. They just they have to throw that in there, don't they? Uh, they use a visual processing technology to distinguish up to 95% of common broadleaf weeds from grass blades. It sprays them directly using a small dose of herbicide, like spot treatment. Danny claims this method reduces the need of uh, the, the use of weed-killing chemicals by up to 90% when compared to spraying an entire lawn. With durable bumpers on the perimeter, blah, 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 blah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, good job, guys. Uh, cool. Cool stuff here. It's a uh, it's an automated spot sprayer. I'm not gonna lie, I think it's pretty cool, and uh, I'll be curious to see how this works once implemented into the real world. I will say this is that I'm not the kind of person that wants to be the first one out and just give it a whole whirl, uh, and that's mainly just because I don't feel like spending eight hundred dollars on one. But I know that we have people like our resident rocket scientist who would absolutely love to do this and i'd like to hear his feedback oh boy yeah he'd spend 800 dollars on this in a heartbeat he's gonna need Without it he's uh his his time is gonna be limited here this year so yes sean get on it yes uh we also have kenneth benoit jr uh not to be confused with chris benoit who he fucked up <laughs> real bad and uh, is gonna go down in infamy rightfully so as one of the biggest pieces of shit to walk our earth this ain't that guy. Yeah. You know who this guy is? A fucking badass. Uh, Kenneth Benoit Jr. earns Excellence in Government Affairs Award from the GCSAA. Uh, Kenneth is a 28-year GCSAA member and past president of the Met, uh, Metropolitan GCSA, has earned the 2023 Excellence in Government Affairs Award from the Golf Course Superintendents Association of America. He's being honored for his efforts in establishing the best management practices for New York State golf courses, educating those outside the industry on BMPs, and developing a strong working relationship with the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation. Not an easy thing to fucking do, this guy did. Uh, the award honors the cumulative efforts of Benoit's proactive approach to establishing BMPs, and New York State uh, State Golf Courses, as well as his dedication to developing a positive and uh, productive working relationship with the NYSDEC. Uh, the New York State Agency Task for Regulating, blah, blah, blah. Like most regions around the country, we have a very politically charged relationship with environmental groups and lawnmakers, Benoit said. Fortunately, we have a very politically active core of superintendents in the Northeast who help communicate the great things our industry is doing for the environment. Um, it goes on to say here that, you know, where he got started has worked his way through. And then he says, I would ask all superintendents from around the country to do their small part by participating in the GCS BMP online tool, formally adopting BMPs at your facility will go a long way towards helping our industry communicate to outsiders, all the great things we're doing to help create an environmentally and he a healthy and sustainable world. And he goes on to say he is truly honored and grateful to have been chosen for this award. And you know what? He is deserving. And you know why? Is because he fucking got out in front of it. He did the hard work. He did everything that he was supposed to do above and beyond and is a prime example of what we all should be able to do uh, uh, if we apply the same kind of tactfulness and effort that uh, Mr. Benoit does here. He just did it better and uh, quicker than the rest of us did. Be like Mr. Benoit. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. BMPs are here to stay. It's coming along, care. It's already in sports or it's already in golf. And if you're not following them, uh, well, there's no fucking excuse. So get on the science train, ladies and gentlemen. Toot toot. About to leave the station. Don't like it? Tough titties. We are leaving the station, but you know who isn't leaving the station? And that's our link. Uh, our link is wecarelawncare.info. If you have a couple extra bucks, throw it in. Uh, we got news. We we had some corporate uh, uh, backers for donations that were made. Uh, and just so you know that this went to good use, um, over $11,000 now uh, between this and then corporate sponsors uh, that got in as a result of, uh, of, of people throwing, throwing their money in here uh, has all gone towards this fund right here. This does not go to us. This that we never touches our hand. This goes directly to St. Jude. Use you, uh, YouTube for good. For anybody that's out there that watches YouTube that is non-lawn care related content, by all means, please have them do the same thing. The WeCareLawnCare.info link. Share it. Use the hashtag WeCareLawnCare. Get people who are not in the industry into the industry, or at least highlight the fact that they too can use their platform, their audience, their community to do the same good thing that Travis Feltner inspired us to do. So again, thank you, Travis. And uh, we appreciate uh, everything that came about it because we get to do something for people who actually need the fucking help. And it's the people who uh, who uh, uh, get to experience um, all the various things that you get to experience um, at St. Jude, but most importantly, you get the care that you so desperately need and deserve. We love you all. We're going to go hang out with the patrons and let them pick this week's episode title. Fuck off! Why did I say that? I don't know. I just, it just felt good. <laughs>